to you today a very familiar story, passage of Scripture that you've heard many times before, but uh, the Lord just revealed something to me in this story that I want to impart to you today. If you'll stand with me all over the room, we're going to be reading out John's Gospel, chapter 3. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. We're going to read the first 17 verses. And the Word said, There was a man named Nicodemus a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must, say must, be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and you don't even understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. The Lord gave me this message before I even knew they were going to learn that song. We believed for it last Thursday night. He said, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe it if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. I want to preach to you today for a few moments a message I've simply titled, Fill My Cup, Lord. If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your presence that we we still feel, we've already felt here today. God, right now for the next few moments, I'm asking you that you would remove every hindrance. God, every distraction that would come against us and that, Lord, we would, we would focus on you and what you would speak to us today for the next few moments. And God, I'm asking you, Lord, to not let me speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but let your word come forth today in the power and in the demonstration of your spirit. And God, more than anything, I'm asking you, Lord, today, if there's somebody sitting in this room or watching online that has not been born again, God, I'm asking you today that they would be born again before this day is over. But God, I'm also asking you today that you would speak to your church. That if we're going to be what you've called us to be, that God, we need to present ourselves to you. We need to give you our cup and ask you to fill us. Lord, that's our prayer today. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through this word in advance today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. 
in our text today, we are introduced to this character of Nicodemus for the first time in any of the gospel narratives. In fact, Nicodemus, as often as you may have heard this story, he is not mentioned in any other gospel. But he does appear uh, by name on three different occasions and by reference on five different occasions, counting those three of name, in the gospel of John. So he appears five times in the Bible. And the story that's being told here seems to be one in which Nicodemus comes to Jesus wanting more of something. Something that he presently does not have. And we ask the question, what could have been missing from this man's life? Now, from the gospel that I read to you today, we know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. That meant that not only was he a religious scholar, he was also a teacher and he was also a member of the influential Jewish court that served as the legal mechanism for resolving civil and criminal conflicts among the Jews. He was educated and he was political. And from reading the Talmud, which is the collection of sacred writings of the Jews, we know that Nicodemus was also a very, very wealthy man. My Dake Study Bible actually uh, told me that it is believed that Nicodemus was the third richest, uh, by, by monetary wealth, the third richest man in all of Jerusalem. Uh, we also know from reading the Talmud that he had at least one daughter. So according to material standards, he was not lacking very much of anything. He had money. He had political influence. He had a family. And he also had religious authority. Yet, that was not enough. And so, under the cover of the night, when the streets would have been deserted and nobody would have been able to have witnessed his coming and going, Nicodemus went to see Jesus. Now, first of all, he could not let himself be seen by anyone because Jesus was considered to have been an enemy of the Jews. At least this is how the religious leaders of the Jewish movement saw him. He was a threat to their authority, and he was also, but to them, he was a blasphemer because they did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. And yet Nicodemus, we find, goes to Jesus in the darkness of the night Jesus, who was ridiculed by the Jewish leaders. Jesus, who was a blasphemer to the Jewish leaders. Jesus, who was, was nothing of religious significance to the Jewish leaders. Nicodemus goes to him in the middle of the night to get something more. He's looking for something that he knows he is missing. Nicodemus wanted to see, perhaps, if he could get his cup filled. He had a thirst that was not quenched, even though it seemed as though he had the best of everything that the world could offer readily available to him. He had family, he had money, he had political authority, he had the respect of his neighbors. All of those things were his, yet he was still thirsty. Now, from the reading in John, the thirst that Nicodemus had seems to have been a spiritual thirst. It doesn't seem to have been a religious thirst because we know that he had his religion. Nicodemus was very religious. He knew the Hebrew law. He probably 
followed the commandments as closely as anybody could. All of the commandments written in the law, he knew those. And he kept those. And I'm going to preach to us Church of God people here for just a moment. He went to, the, he went to church or the temple, if you will, on a regular basis. He studied the Torah and the other religious readings that were available to them in the times of Jesus. He was full of religion. His problem was not a lack of religion, perhaps, but it was a lack of spirituality. See, religion and spirituality are not the same thing. Let me say that again. Religion and spirituality are not the same thing. They are not interchangeable words. It is very possible to be one without the other. Somebody can be religious without being spiritual. And somebody else can be spiritual without being religious. But Nicodemus, Nicodemus was religious. He followed the rules and the letters of the law. He did all the things he was supposed to do. He went to church on Sundays, if you will. He probably paid his tithes. And if somebody were to ask him for advice on proper procedure, he could probably instruct them with ease. He knew what to do and what not to do in a temple service. Boy, we've got a lot of people in the church world today that know what to do and what not to do in a temple service. They do what you're supposed to do in a church service, then they go do what you're not supposed to do outside of the church service. Somebody help me this morning. He knew when to kneel. See, there were rituals in the temple. He knew when to kneel. He knew when to sit. He knew when to approach the priest with his sacrificial offering. If he were alive and if he were in our church today, I'll put it in, in layman's terms for us, he would have known when to stand, when to sit, when to clap, when to lift his hands, when to worship, when to give, and when to pray. He probably would have been able to tell you our practical commitments, what those are in the church of God, and perhaps he might have even been one of you that would be able to quote our declaration of faith. He understood the form of religion, and he understood the function of religion, but he did not, however, understand the spiritual part of his religion. He had never had a personal encounter with God. Can I tell you today that there are churches full of religious people who have never had a personal life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why Nicodemus went to Jesus. That's why he sought Jesus out. He was still thirsty. He had religion but his cup was empty. He wanted to understand the spirit of religion. The, the spirit, I, I tried to think about how to biblically verbalize what I'm trying to explain to you here. And, and I, I found in the scripture, and I'll share with you in just a moment, but, but let's, let's call it the spirit of his religion, the spirit of his faith. We're going to talk about the spirit of your religion and the spirit of your faith. What exactly is that? I want to tell you what it's not. It's not something that we can see, smell, taste, hear, and feel with our five senses. The spirit of religion is not the form, it's not the practice, and it's not the doing. The spirit of religion is not going to church, it's not paying your tithes, it's not doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. It is, however, what lives deep down inside these practices for you. It is a personal encounter. 
It's not about, and I hope I don't bust your bubble this morning, it's not about attending a church so that you can say you did. It's about encountering His presence when you get there. See, the true spirit of religion lives inside of the acts we do, such as worship, prayer, Bible study, communion, or baptism. It is not those events themselves. It is what lives inside of those events for the believer. And I suspect if we can find a reasonable answer to that question about what the spirit of religion or what the spirit of our faith is, that we might be able to define what it really means to be a spiritual person. See, the spirit of religion is contained less in what we say or what we do and more in understanding the reason behind what we say and what we do. The spirit of religion is located in our motivation. What motivates you to come to church? Obviously, if you're here today, something motivates you to come to church. If you're watching online, I'm sorry. You might not have been motivated. While I'm there, let me say this. I love live streaming. It's a wonderful tool. But it was never meant to take the place of what Paul said when he said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There's a difference in being together. Thank you that you're here online, but there's a difference being in the house. What motivates you to come to church? What motivates you to pray? What motivates you to read the Word? I hope that you're motivated to do those things. Some of you are probably wondering why I think motivation is important and even to whom it's important. Is it important to God or is it important to us? And I'm not at all sure if God is overly concerned about our motivation. But I think it can make quite a bit of difference to us because it is through exploring our own motivation that we can begin to discover our own personal level of spirituality. Let me say that again. It's through exploring our own motivation that we can begin to discover our own personal level of spirituality. Now, listen to me when I say this. I don't want to suggest that there's a right or a wrong motivation. Because frankly, anything that gets us into church, making it possible for us to grow in a relationship with God is a positive thing. Will you say amen? Anything that motivates us to get into church and to to develop a personal relationship with God that we grow in, that's a positive thing. But if we determine that we want our relationships with God to uh, deepen, and to get richer over time, the motivation for why we engage in behaviors that we do during worship takes on an added significance. And it's not because we need to hold ourselves up to some outside standard, but so that we can take stock of what we believe and why we believe it. Just like they sang a few minutes ago, what what we believe, what do we believe? You know why I believe we don't see as many miracles in the church today as we used to see? Because we don't really believe that God's going to do it. In the old church, there was no wavering. When they needed a miracle and they came to God in desperation, they said, God, we believe that you're able to do this. 
We believe your word says that you will do this. God, we stand on your word where it says if any two or three agree together, touching any one thing, it shall be done. God, we believe you're able and we believe you're going to do it and let it be done in the name of Jesus. And that's why they saw people get out of wheelchairs. That's why they saw drug addicts and alcoholics instantly delivered. That's why they saw people changed instantly because they believed in the power of God. Can I tell you today that the church world needs to know what they believe and then when they know what they believe they need to believe it without wavering that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think but what does that passage say according to the power that's at work in us if we don't believe it there's no power at work in us but when we believe it great things happen so I ask you today what in our worship seems to have particular meaning for us. What challenges us the most? What requires the most energy and effort? And what acts of worship do we give the least attention to? I want to tell you that spiritual growth happens when we open ourselves up to the possibility for it to happen. And we open ourselves in many different ways, but I believe the two primary ways that we open ourselves up to the Lord is actively exploring who we are and what, what gives meaning to our lives. And the second thing is when we make ourselves as completely available to God as possible. Did you hear me? we got to make ourselves completely available to God. So we saw how Nicodemus did that. In the darkness of the night... With the threat of being ostracized, listen to me, by the other Jews, and with the threat of losing all of his power and all of his influence, he took a stroll into Jesus' room. If anybody saw him, he risked being ostracized by his church. If anybody saw him, he risked being punished and losing his position of power and influence, but he took a stroll into Jesus' room. He took a trip into his presence, if you will. My God, can I tell you, if the church needs anything today, our religious system needs a trip right into the presence of God because religion will not accomplish anything, but just one trip into his presence will change your life forever. And he took a trip into his presence. And the first thing he did is he affirmed what he already knew to be true. And that was... was that was that Jesus was sent by God. He knew that to be true. And God, at that moment, made himself available to Nicodemus. And the conversation, the teaching, and the way in which his cup was filled took on a life of its own. Nicodemus experienced a change. Change. See, religion, folks, does not bring about change. Regeneration does. Let me say that again. Religion does not bring about change. Regeneration does. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Say must. Is there any option there? You must be born again. Religion is not enough. Attending church is not enough. Paying our tithes is not enough. Obeying the commandments is not enough. Religion and the formality of religion is not enough. You need regeneration. 
a rebirth. And Paul explains what that is. And I'm, I'm going to probably lose all my help right here. But Paul explains what that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He explains regeneration. Here's what he says. He says, if you'll put that on the screen please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, that means, thank you, that anyone who belongs, say belong, belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and a new life has begun. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Out with the old you and in with the new you. So I want to tell you something this morning or this afternoon now. If you are still living the same way that you lived before you came to believe in Christ, you may believe in Him, but you don't belong to Him according to this passage of Scripture. Did you hear me? That's why the Word says not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, now, Pastor Sean, you're going to run people off by preaching that. Listen, I know it's popular today to do anything and everything you can to draw people in, but I want to tell you the church world is full of people, religious people who attend church but they've never been regenerated they've never been born again they've never had a personal encounter with God and I don't believe that God is pleased when we make people think that that is okay I believe God wants to say to them through us the same thing that he said to Nicodemus you must be born again if you're going to belong to Christ you got to become a new person oh that means you don't this I know I probably won't get a lot of help right here that means it's not okay for you to come to an altar of prayer and to repent and say Lord I confess you, I believe in you I invite you into my heart and then you get up from the altar and you go back out and you continue doing the same things you did before you came in you might believe in Jesus but you don't belong to him but Jesus said I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly how do you have life you need to be regenerated you need to be reborn the church world today needs a new beginning we need a fresh start we need to be reborn regenerated and new in Jesus Christ a change must take place regeneration is an essential element of salvation you can't separate the two and Nicodemus opened himself up to this possibility and he became one of Jesus' disciples. Now, we know that he became a disciple because later on in the Gospel of John, one of those five times that I told you he was mentioned, Nicodemus, actually one of the three times he was mentioned by name, we find that he stands up for Jesus in the Sanhedrin court. And he, he stands up to support him. And still later in the Gospel, think about this. After the crucifixion, when all of the rest of the disciples had scattered... Do you know who it was that took Jesus' body down from the cross? Perfumed it and oiled it, wrapped it in linen and placed it in a tomb? It was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. He was faithful to the Lord even through that. All of this came from a religious man who recognized. See, that's the key. He recognized that he had religion, but there was something missing. Oh, I would to God. 
that some people in this church world today, not just this church, but I believe some of you are here, but I also believe that in the church world today, I would to God that some people would recognize that they've got a form of godliness, but they don't have the power of God. I wish they would recognize they've got religion, but they've never had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ because trying to keep up with religion will wear you down. Trying to keep up with the rules and the regulations will wear you out. But when you totally surrender and give yourself to Jesus Christ and you become a new creation, it's second nature to you, honey. You won't have to worry about the things that you used to do because when you're a new creature in Jesus Christ, you know what? I had a man, a client, sit in my office this week and he's from another denomination uh, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, I, th- this denomination particularly, they kind of go both ways on the topic that I'm going to touch on. But he said in my office this week, and he said, you know, you're not only, uh, you're not only my lender and, and all of that, but he said, you're my close friend. And he said, you're, you're, a, you're a preacher, and I think a lot of you, and I, and I know that you have a, a prayer life with God, and I want to ask you to pray about something. This man was a minister, not a pastor, but he was a minister. And he and his wife held a position in a local church in Corbin, another denomination. And he recently, he said, Sean, I had to step down. I felt like I had to step down from my position. And I said, why? He said, because my wife has started social drinking. And she drinks in public. And people see her. And he said, I I asked her not to do that. Because it brings a reproach against our church. I'm glad there's still people that think like that today. I know I don't have all the support in here, but that's okay. I'm just going to tell you what he said because this bears, listen, I've told you before. I can't find in this Bible where it tells me that taking a drink is going to send you to hell. But I can tell you, I can take you to where in this book if it says if it offends you, brother, don't do it. I can take you in this book where it tells you not to let your good be evil spoken of. And if it hindered the work of God in the ministry that he was doing in his church, it didn't need to be. So he said, I'm I'm faithful to her, I'm committed to her, I love her, I don't want to divorce over this. But he said, I said, honey, we can't can't do this, so I'm going to step down from everything I'm doing. But you know what he said to me? That's not what stirred me up. Here's what stirred me up. He said, Sean, all I know is this. Now his dad is a very devout Christian man with strong, strong Christian moral biblical values he said all I know is this he said my dad was an alcoholic before he found Jesus and he said when my dad found Jesus he didn't touch another drop and he hasn't touched another drop for over 60 I believe it was over 60 years because his dad's about 80 he said when the Lord saved him he completely gave up alcohol and he's not touched another drop in 80 in, in 60 years he said I can't say much to my dad because he said my dad would preach my wife a sermon he said I can tell my mom because my mom will just pray but he said all I know is this he said if God did that for my dad who was an alcoholic my wife don't need that stuff and I sat there across from his desk and I said you're about to get this Pentecostal preacher riled up right here because I 
said, yes, I'm going to help you pray for your wife. Maybe necessarily what she's doing won't send her soul to hell, but if it's bringing a reproach to the kingdom of God, I believe that God can change her. What she needs is a change in her life. See, what the world needs to see is not a church that compromises and does everything that they're doing. What the world needs to see is a church that looks different than they do. A church that's given up what they're still a part of. It's not so much about legalism and all of that stuff as it is as it is about being the example that God has called us to be so we can win the loss to Christ. They don't want what we have, church, if what we have is no different than what they have. Me either. Me either. I mean, let's just face it, I love y'all, but I'd rather be sitting by the ocean today. I wouldn't mind to borrow Eric and Flora's pontoon and just go out on it. On the lake. Let somebody else do church. Well, pastor, that's awful. It's not if all it is is a form of religion. It's not if all it is is a ritual. And it's definitely not if we're not any different than all of those around us that need to find Jesus. It's important. And all of this came from a religious man who recognized that he needed something more than his religious life. What he received was a filling of his cup from a well of living water. See, the fact that Nicodemus was a disciple, that was also recorded in the Talmud. So we know that he truly converted and was truly born again as the Lord told him. And I go back this morning and I revisit the words of the song I sang right before I preached this message. Fill my cup, Lord. See, as a church, we need to make that personal. Fill my cup, Lord. I, see, I'm not responsible for your cup. This is my cup. I'm only responsible for my cup. So I shared this with the 845 crowd. Uh, let me finish the words of the song. Come and quench this thirsting in my soul. Bread from heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. You know what filling my cup does? It brings wholeness. Now, let me give you this brief illustration and I'll move on. When I come to church, if this cup which is just a, a physical representation of what I'm talking about. If I come in and it's raining, if it's really raining, and I hold it here, part of me is going to block what goes into that cup. We got churches full that are blocking the flow of the Spirit with self. See, that's why I told our worship team and band, and that's why I bragged on them this morning, man, they did an awesome job. They, they, they did an awesome job. But I want to tell you something right now. There's not a one of them that's not replaceable by somebody else that's anointed by God. I'm going to get to some core values here in just a moment very quickly that I'm going to speak on that I'm talking about. But we need to stop blocking the flow of the Spirit with self. We need to take our cup when we come in and we need to lift it up like the song says and say, God, here it is. I want to catch every drop. Everything you've got for me, I want you to fill it up. And that's what Nicodemus did. That Perhaps the words of that song were even his prayer that evening when he went to see Jesus because he recognized that he needed more than just religion in his life. He needed a spiritual connection. He needed a relationship that went beyond going to church and going through the motions. Hello, we need a relationship that goes beyond going to church and going through the motions, saying the right words, doing the right things. He needed an engagement with the Lord that would be powerful enough to have him reorient his life. He needed something that would motivate him differently to motivate him to a different end. He needed change. His encounter with Jesus that night revealed to him that living in the flesh and living in the spirit were two different things. 
As far as his faith was concerned, it was better to live in the Spirit. What's the word say? Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the problem today. We're fulfilling the lust of the flesh because we ain't walking in the Spirit. And so he presented his cup to Jesus and he said, fill me up. My Lord, how the church world today needs change. How the church world today needs change. We need change. And we need to be a source. We need to be a source of change for the lives of people who have religion. But they've never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. I was talking with my wife last week and I said, you know what? I could, I shared this at the early service. I might as well share it now. Inadvertently, I think, once again, go figure. I've offended some people by preaching the word. That seems to be the story of my life. And it tore me up. I said, you know what? I love them. But I didn't write this book. God just called me to preach it. So don't get upset at me. If, if you're offended, look inside yourself. If there's something that didn't sit well with you. Because I told my wife, I said, you know what? I guess I could do like a lot of others have done. Because it brought heartache to me. I don't, I don't like it when, when people don't like me. Is anybody else like that? I'll tell you what, I wished I could care less if you like me or not. I really do. I, that would make my life so much easier. But that's just mine and Abby's personality. We can't stand it if we think you don't like us. And if we think you don't like us, we'll not like you, but we will die trying to get you to like us. That's just the truth. But I said, I could, I could just avoid that, you know. I could just avoid that. I could just leave it alone like a lot of other people do, and then I wouldn't offend anybody. I was just talking my way through it, and she's just listening. Because most of the time she don't want to hear it anyway, but she's just listening. And I said, I, I could do that. But then I said, if you're telling me that means we'll have, before long, we'll have a, and I'm not saying it started here because it didn't. I'm just using this as an example. But before long, we'll have a praise team and band full of people doing that and a bunch of t Sunday school teachers and leaders full of people doing that. If you're telling me that's what it's about, I said, you know what I'm telling you? I don't want to pastor a church. I don't want to pastor a church like that. I just want to go to one and pay my tithes. If I'm going to let anything go, I'm just going to re just relinquish all authority, all spiritual authority, and just go to church and pay my tithes and let people do what they want to do. But some way, somehow, down deep inside of me, God says, no, I've called you for more than that. I've called you to be a place, and that's what this church needs to be, is a place where people can have a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's enough places where they can find religion. There's enough places where they can find ritualism, what the world needs and what the church needs. I used to tell God, Lord, send in the lost souls. That's what we want. We don't want people from other churches. But then God stirred me up this week, and he said, what if they're going to church somewhere else, but they've never had a life-changing encounter with me? I said, God, send them to us. Let us be a place that's not about religion. Let us be a place that's not about ritualism. But God, let us be a place that's about regeneration and a rebirth and a new you in Christ Jesus. Let us be a soul-saving station where lives are changed and the kingdom is built one soul at a time. And I'm going to close this up. But I said all that to say this. That's why it's vital for us to be a church 
Why am I preaching this on the eighth birthday of our church? Here's why. It's vital for us to be a church that reaches far beyond the walls of religion and ritualism and plunges deep into the heart of God. We're presently working as a staff on some core values that will simplistically and clearly state who we are as a church. And I shared with Phyllis, I'd like to get those made and put on the walls where they're easily visible down there in our lobby and foyer area. And I don't know that they'll be exactly as I'm going to share them with you today, but you'll get the, the, the gist of, of where we want to go with this. Some statements that very simplistically and clearly state who we are as a church. Here's, here's the first one. And they all will start with Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks. Here's the first one. Presence over performance. What does that mean? That means we will pursue the presence of God in our worship and never get caught up in the performance of men. Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks encounter over entertainment. We will strive to entertain nobody while at the same time leading everybody who worships with us into a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit. Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks intimacy over industry. What does that mean? We will strive to be a ministry geared toward leading individuals to an intimate relationship with Jesus rather than a ministry that is driven to make a name or a profit for itself. Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks purpose over programs. We will focus more on the purpose for which God has created and called us than we will on the programs that we offer. Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks servanthood over status. I'll lose about half of you with this. We'll seek to humbly serve others like Jesus did over obtaining status and positions of authority with men. What I didn't lose with that one, I'll lose with this one. Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks to please God over pleasing man. Our driving force will always be to please God and not man. We will strive not to make the church happy, but to make the church holy. Because when we make the church holy, then we make God happy. Hallelujah. Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks kingdom growth over church growth. Jesus has called us to win the lost, but the word says that he places them in the body as it pleases him. And when we grow the kingdom, he will automatically build our church. And last but certainly not least, Freedom Point Church will be a church that seeks Jesus over everything. He will always be the central focus of everything that we do. And let me tell you what happens when Jesus is our central focus. I know that there are people that, that come to this church because you like me. And if you don't, don't tell me. It'll drive me crazy. I know there's people that come to this church because maybe you like to hear me preach. Sometimes I wonder why because I go back and listen to the podcast. I'm like, my Lord, why did I say that? But here's the Here's the reality. When we're a church that seeks Jesus over everything and He's the central focus, I can go out into eternity tomorrow and you can know two things. Number one, Pastor Sean's in the presence of Jesus. And number two, his church will go on because it was never about me to start with. So if they come to the music this morning, Nicodemus, or this afternoon now, Nicodemus took a courageous step that evening. And listen to me, church. If we want to see the fullness of what God wants to do in this church, we must do the same thing. Opening up 
oneself to be led by the Spirit can be uncomfortable. And for some of us, sometimes it can be scary. It can be somewhat scary. But when we bring our cup to the Lord and we ask Him to fill it, when we individually lift it up and ask Him to fill it, we got to realize that we won't have any control over what goes inside it. But it also means that we placed ourselves in a position to be blessed in a way that we are yet to experience. See, Nicodemus believed in Jesus, but he didn't yet belong to him. He had religion, but he didn't have a personal encounter with the Lord. We also got to realize that with the risk comes a promise. We risk when we make ourselves available to be led by the Spirit, but the promise that we have is that the cup will be filled to overflowing we will be made whole. When our cup is filled to overflowing, that's when it reaches out, it branches out, and touches others around us. If you'll stand with me all over the room today. What does it mean? What does it mean to be spiritual? It's walking and living in the Spirit of God. It's being led by the Spirit to be in relationship with God and with each other in authentic ways. See, being a spiritual person or a spiritual church has to be something that we do intentionally. Do you understand that? It has to be something that we do intentionally. It's got to be something that we desire. It's got to be something that we seek and something that we work toward constantly. It's not automatic and it doesn't just happen because we're here. But it's both a gift and a reward. It's a treasure. Preached a few months ago. Guarding the treasures of the temple. It's a treasure to be prized and earned. Questioning our motivation is one way to discover our level of spirituality, but the other way that we discover that is about making it personal, making it part of our prayer life. We can ask God to help us. We can ask God to help us to be open and receptive to the Spirit in and around us. See, that's what happens when we're not receptive, we get offended. But when we are receptive, God draws us another step closer to Him. We can ask God to fill our cup. So with every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room today, I want to ask you, how much of God do you want? I want you to evaluate that question for yourself. How much of God do you really want? I pray that every single one of us today figuratively speaking, present our cup to God and say, fill my cup, Lord. Fill my cup. Now, you may be here today and you may say, I did it another way first in the 845 service, but with nobody looking around, I want to do it this way. If you're here today, and should you go out into eternity before you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, with nobody looking around, but by the raising of your hands, how many in this building, in this room today, know that you know that you know where you would spend eternity? Let me see your hands. Raise them up. Now, I'm talking to those of you whose hands did not go up. Had I done it the other way, you might not would have said, Pastor, I'm not ready. But you just, you just inadvertently testified. I don't know the condition of my soul. My prayer today is that you will come to the Lord as Nicodemus did. 
And you'll completely surrender yourself to Him. And when you do, I promise you, when you completely surrender, regeneration and salvation will take place in your life. He will take what you may think you need to try to fix before you bring it to Him. He'll take that and He will do just what His Word says. He'll make you a new creation. That old thing will be passed away and the new life will begin today. So I want to ask you, don't leave this place. Don't leave this place today without knowing that you're ready to meet Him. But to the rest of you today, that those that raised their hands, how many of you will say, I want to be full of God. I want more than just religion. Let me see your hands all over this room. Pastor, I need more than just religion. I want to be full of Him, yes. God, we ask you today, pour into us everything you have for us. Let us be filled until we overflow. They're going to sing in just a moment, and when they do, I want us to open this altar, and I want as many of you that will. I want you to just figuratively speak and bring your cup and find a place at this altar to kneel and say, God, here I am. Fill me up until I overflow. Let me be an overflowing vessel in this body. Fill this church up until it overflows. If you feel like you're already full, I want you to come and pray uh, for this church and say, God, fill us up till we overflow by your